Hi, everyone. It's Thursday, June 1st, 2023. Welcome to Tectio Quick Takes. I'm your host, Alex Riley, and here are today's headlines. Rally Legal conjures up a name change and $10.9 million in funding. Hostaway raises $175 million U.S. to pull away from the competition. And Benchsai raises $95 million in Series D to help break it all down. Alex Norman joins me. Hi, Alex. Hey, how are you doing, Alex? I'm doing good. How are you? Pretty good. I'm excited. Like it's, it, we're starting to see a few larger rounds come together. The weather's improving. What's not to love about life right now? Exactly. Everything is is heating up um, in that sense. So, uh, just to jump into our first headline, we do have a special guest that's joining us to kind of help walk you through it and add some insight as well. So, uh, Alex, if you want to intro our, our guest for the episode, sure. We have Scott, one of the co-founders of Spellbook, which formerly was known as Rally Legal. Hey, Scott. Hi, Scott. Hey, Alex and Alex. Yeah. Alex, Alex, yeah. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, doing great, doing great. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wh- where do we find you today? Uh, where, do you, where do you find me? Um, yeah. You find me in St. John's, Newfoundland. Um, yeah, I guess we're, we're a couple weeks uh, post our raise announcement. And uh, yeah, just kind of rapidly uh, scaling what we're doing here at Spellbook. So it's, it's a pretty busy time, yeah. but it's good. Cool. So for people that aren't aware of the announcement, what, what is the news that we're talking about today? Um, yeah, so we just raised uh, 10, 10.9 million um, uh, for formerly Rally, uh, now Spellbook. Um, we are a legal automation company. We've been around uh, for a little while um, and we set out with a mission to help legal transactions move 10 times or 100 times faster because they're you know, they underlie everything that we do um, in the world. <clears throat> and uh, September of last year, we launched a generative AI uh, co-pilot for lawyers. Uh, as far as we know, it was the first one commercially launched for lawyers. And uh, it was called Spellbook. And uh, it uh, rapidly, rapidly grew. And um, we've had much more demand than we could keep up with. And uh, yeah, so we uh, raised around earlier than we expected to kind of keep up with that growth, um, scale out our onboarding team. We have a wait list of almost 60,000 people now. Um, so uh, yeah, we're, we're just trying to keep up with that demand, onboard uh, more legal professionals, and uh, yeah, build out the product further. So let, let's break down some of this news and what some of the stuff you said. Um, you said it rapidly grew. So you talked about 60,000 people on the wait list, and you talked about these being legal professionals. So what was a break the big breakthrough or how are you able to serve these customers that you've created unlock so much demand yeah so uh long, long story you know we, we've been working with this customer base for a long time so it starts with i think really just intimately understanding your customer and their day-to-day problems i'm um, only started this company so i have two co-founders uh daniel and matt who, who are awesome I came from the engineering background. Uh, Daniel came from the law background and uh, Matt came from a design background. I think Matt and I were both very naive when we started. We were like, oh, you know, why why are these law firms charging so much money? Like maybe maybe we can just automate all their work with software and and the world is going to be amazing. Um, That and after working with lawyers, um, actually we worked out of a law office in the early days alongside lawyers that were that were kind of actually doing the work. We realized very quickly that, you know, uh, legal work is really hard. The work that lawyers and paralegals do is is really, really tough. I think it's one, it's truly one of the toughest jobs in the world. I don't think it's anywhere near being fully automated. Um, but there is a lot of drudgery that um, software can help with. So we started by um, doing more what's called document automation or template-based automation, like 
you know, say you're doing like a financing transaction for a company, um, you know, there's like 10 or so really important documents that would go along with that, along with all the other stuff in the minute book. Um, so you can template all that and um, have these nice automated workflows to help you get, get you part of the way. Um, and that works for a lot of things in law, uh, but we would always hear from our customers uh, and lawyers, especially they're like, oh, you know, like templates and document automation is cool. Um, but my work is like so bespoke, you know, it wouldn't work for me. Like every clause I write is just perfect for my client. And like, there's no way a template could ever do that. Yeah. And at first we would kind of roll our eyes and then it, we would just, we would hear that over and over and over again. And eventually you, you, you kind of actually digest it and you're like, oh, like, um, legal work actually is very bespoke. Um, the, the work that lawyers do to like review a 100 page contract is actually really hard. I mean, imagine I give you a 100 page contract and I'm your client and I'm like, Alex, I need this back by tomorrow. Uh, cause it's, you know, it's, en it's end of end of month and, uh, we're trying to get this in under the wire. Um, what are you going to do to like review and, um, uh, negotiate that contract? Are you going to sit down and like print off the contract and like read all 100 pages for, you know, uh, bad language, like, um, an aggressive language. Um, it's, it's a really, really hard and tough problem. So then the insight we had, uh, with large was with large language models. Um, the aha moment for us that we connected to that problem of, you know, you're a lawyer reviewing a 100 page contract, trying to draft changes, um, was actually using GitHub Copilot. So GitHub Copilot was really, I think, the first generative AI application that really um, spread far and wide and, and, and I think had, had incredible engagement and usage metrics. And I, as an engineer, used it. At first, I was super skeptical. I was like, oh, like, there's no way this thing is going to work. It would output this code in advance of me typing it. And I'd be like, oh, that code looks like overly complex. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And then 10 minutes later, I'd be like, oh, like... Actually, the AI anticipated a whole bunch of problems that I wasn't even thinking about mm. 10 minutes in advance of me. And that was just like a mind-blowing moment for, for me as a programmer, seeing like AI actually in some ways program better, better than I can. Um, so we very quickly kind of took that technology and said we kind of want to build like the GitHub Copilot for lawyers and um, launch it September 1st of last year very, very, very quickly. And... Um, yeah, as soon as we started rolling out to beta users, they were using it um, constantly. Um, and yeah, and so, so and then so we just went on a, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, so that sounds interesting. It sounds like you had a product there, you understood your customer well, and you launched a new product based on a technology breakthrough. So, you know, and you talk about now, you know, 60,000 are people on the wait list, are customer, potential customers on a wait list. So it sounds like you had a bit of, or you have signs of product market fit. Um, other than just the wait list, what other signs like did, you know, how were the, how do the customer interactions change? And then what did that do to, to the company? Cause you went, you know, what does it feel like post product, you know, post product market fit? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it truly felt like the, the mythical product market fit moment that I, I didn't believe existed. You know, people would say, Oh, like when you have product market fit, um, people will pull the, the product out of your hands faster than you could provide it. And I'd be like, yeah, right. Like. How, how many companies does that really happen to? Um, it definitely happened to us. And it's a completely different feeling than anything we had encountered before. Um, it truly is more demand than we can possibly service. Um, even now as we're hiring, we're still not keeping up. Um, and yeah, it puts pressure on a lot of areas of the company, but it's it becomes a different game of really scaling. And, and um, you know, a lot of the 
I think when people think about starting a company, they think about a lot of the like tr traditional small, medium business stuff where you're like, you think about processes and like scaling and delegation. We never really thought it had to think about that stuff until product market fit. And like, I don't think founders should think about that stuff until they find product market fit because you're really just kind of trying to, trying to find um, your hit and, and just wandering around uh, the jungle for a long time. Um, but when, but once you hit, yeah, all of a sudden, you know, scaling and, and processes and, um, figuring out how to service all those customers like how how do you even you know we we have over 600 of the of customers using this a lot like how do we even digest all that feedback and make sure that it gets into our our product team you know it's a lot of really hard uh, and diff different problems um but it's fun and you know so you have one son you have a bunch of customers signing up and wanting to use you and i think the other thing which sounds like it was a sign of product market fit is i saw in the semaphore article um that you had you know, two your customers are using 280 spells, I guess spells like interactions with your software per month. So how quickly did you see that? Was it like the first customers are using us once a month and the second month, the second month, or did it just immediately, was there immediately like, Hey, they became dependent on you. Um, it's pretty immediate. Uh, I mean, there, there's pretty immediate uptake from our early customers, especially because our beta users were definitely like early adopter types of customers. So they, they adopt adapted it pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I, I would say we've had like a quadrupling of like weekly usage per user um, since since we launched. So we've added more features and functionality. So originally we just didn't have that many different spell. We call yeah. them spells. Uh, they help a lawyer. Uh, we didn't have that much at first, but now as we've added more things that you can use more often, um, we've definitely seen that you know almost quadruple, like daily usage kind of quadruple. Um, big thing that I think is. Uh, made that usage increase is um, we created this new feature called suggestions where just you load up any contract in Microsoft Word and it's just going to, Spellbook is just going to come up with all of these different suggestions and calling out, you know, aggressive terms, things you, you should watch out for. So when our customer opens any contract, they're like, well, I, I should check the Spellbook suggestions. Like, why not? They're, they're there already. Yeah. It's, it's like their trusty associate that's pre, you know, put the contract there with some comments for them. Hey, I'm not sure this is what you need to look at, but these seem odd to me. Yeah. 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 And talk, let's talk a bit about, I'd love to hear a bit about how you put the round together, you know, three other questions, you know, before you look at the round and like how it came together and like what you were looking for. Cause I think you have some unique investors in, in your um, round two is what the, you know, what, what you're hiring for and three, just, your overview on what's 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 what should we believe and not believe in uh generative ai so let's talk about the round first um you know cool. you announced rounds 10.9 million there's several investors like it you know how do you choose which ones to have and what's you know what's the advantage of like having thompson reuters in there yeah yeah um yeah so the round um this round came together pretty well considering the environment um and it was because our metrics were really good um and you know investors could see even just based on like public metrics of like website traffic that we were getting a lot of traffic. Um, so um, yeah, compared to previous raises I've been involved with, um, it went pretty smooth. We had just a, a lot of investors reaching out to us. We didn't have to do any real outbound um, and we had connections, you know, through um, our, our existing investors and um, our, our usage metrics and just like the inflection point was so clear, I think um, that we were able to, pull off a raise pretty easily, even, even in a, in a downturn, I think like true product market fit is something that, um, 
you know, when investors see it, they're st- they're still pretty interested. No matter no matter you know what what the uh, macro environment is, because it's still so rare. So um, yeah, I think I think those those metrics um, uh, helped a lot um, in terms of who the investors are. Yeah, so Moxie Ventures led the round. Um, they're great. Um, we talked to them pretty early on. Um, they're uh, I, I would say. Um, pretty uh, technical. So they were able to dive into our metrics faster than a lot of other investors and see the early signs and patterns, maybe a little faster than, than some other funds. Um, so they were just very fast moving, uh, which we really appreciated because we wanted, we had to raise the money to grow our team. And uh, yeah, Th- Thompson Reuters um, investing is definitely um, uh, in, an important part of the round and something that we're really excited about. Um, I can't talk too much about uh, kind of specifics now, um, but I, I can talk about, you know, just kind of the obvious questions every lawyer is asking about this technology is like, like, why, why can I trust the text that comes out of it? Like, where does it come from? Does it come from the internet? Does it come from some mysterious training set? And so um, I would say uh, folks who have data providers who have these kind of trusted uh, legal legal data sets um, like TR um, definitely are really important players right now uh, in the ecosystem because they have the data sets that lawyers actually trust. Um, and I think that, you know, for all generative AI um, applications, it's pretty important component. It's like, yeah. you know, um, like where is the data coming from and um, you know, why can you trust it? Yeah, and I also think there's copyright issues too for lots of data as well. So. There is, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. A is it hallucinating? B can I even if it's not hallucinating? Can I? Can, am I going to get in trouble by using this? Uh, at least for big enterprises, those are questions. And so you 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 put it around together. I think there's a few other investors like the legal fund. You know, full disclosure, my fund was in there. Um, yeah. you, you you had uh, Inovia. So really, like, seems like yeah, Inovia. You That's know, awesome. Yeah. You know, leading one of the leading funds in Canada. So it sounds like just so just use of proceeds because it sounds like. You, you started growing so fast, you just needed all hands on deck and you can't, but so like, is it basically, Hey, we, we know what we have to hire for and just scale up. And if so, what are the positions? What's the best way to find the positions and join you guys? Or yeah, apply, yeah, to, yeah. apply so to join you guys. Yeah. We're definitely recruiting. You go to spellbook.legal and click the careers tab and um, you can see some of the roles we have up and there's, there's more coming. Um, we're really hiring for pretty much every department in the company because we've been pretty lean so far. So we have gaps to fill everywhere. Um, Definitely, like one of our first gaps is um, account executives um, and our sales team to onboard all of those people on our wait list. Um, so that's that's one position we've been um, record, recruiting for um, very quickly. Um, we're bolstering our engineering team, hiring AI expertise. Um, we are hiring marketing. Um, we're probably bringing on a finance lead as well. Um, so and probably an operations lead too. So pretty much all across the board. Yeah. So, so no shortage of, of, of opportunities. Um, yeah. And then yeah, and we're also for your audience, we're kind of dual headquartered, I guess, between Toronto and um, St. John's uh, Newfoundland. So yeah, we, we have um, space in, in Toronto and are definitely hiring in, in Toronto. And question uh, now, a couple of questions about, you know, your park positioning the market. One thing is, you know, anything I read about you, it's about legal practitioners. And, you know, I think one of the big beliefs of generative AI is like, hey, this should be open to anyone. So like, why have you limited your customers to just legal practitioners? Yeah, a um, whole bunch of reasons. Um, 
one, there's just like a legal and regulatory reason. Um, there's something called UPL or unauthorized practice of law. Um, we do not, which uh, we don't want to partake in or be liable for. Um, so like just it's um, from a regulatory standpoint, it's, it's fuzzy whether we even could sell it to non-lawyers. Um, but I would think also just from an ethical perspective and just uh, in the, D- the DNA of our company has very much become about um, really being like an electric bicycle for lawyers. We want them to do what they, we, we really believe as a company um, in the value of lawyers um, and their work. And we want to help them do what they do faster. Um, and so we're really, de- we're designed, our whole product is designed around um, what we call assistive AI, which is um, very much like GitHub Copilot. It's um, to help someone, a professional, do what they do better and faster, but it doesn't take them out of the driver's seat. You can't like delegate full tasks to it. Um, you're, you're not actually changing your habits that much. And that's really important to like our whole thesis as a company. Like we're not like a, a separate tab you go to yeah. in your browser. We come to Microsoft Word. So everything we everything we do as a company is around kind of just being, yet yeah, again, like this electric bike for lawyers that helps them do the work faster. So just not really an appropriate tool, I would say at this point for, for non-legal professionals. And like ethically, yeah, I don't think um, there was this big piece in the New York Times you might have seen uh, on Twitter <laughs> the weekend of, you know, a lawyer using this technology and not checking the results and uh, ending up in some hot water. So, um, yeah, I think like there's a definite risk. If you take that lawyer out of the, out of yeah. the loop, um, there's a risk of things being, being seen. But we've really designed our product to make it so that the lawyer is reviewing everything that spits out, um, that they're on the driver's still in the driver's seat, their hands are on the wheel. It's not full self-driving. Um, it's like partial self or sorry. It's not full, full automated driving. It's um, yeah. Yeah. Only You're, partial. Yeah. yeah. And then last question before I let you go, um, just overall generative AI, like I would love to hear like, you know, what, are, what, what, what are, what are the things that the general public or startups don't understand about generative AI? Like if, you know, like almost like what are the, least understood like what's the miss, missing aha thing or what's the biggest myth because you know you, oh, yeah. you, you you've been an early adopter and this i think um, you know this is an extremely hot area just generally yeah there, there's a whole bunch of them um you know I, um i really like thinking about things in terms of like you know like where, where's the alpha like where, like um how is this hype cycle evolving and is it valuable to adopt this technology now or not? Um, and it's very much like investing or trading. You're always like, how do you stay ahead of the market? How do you think ahead of the market? Um, I think um, the market is still under, I think a lot of people are still underestimating uh, the importance of the technology. If that, uh, well, I think there's always this backlash. You always have this kind of wave of hype and then, and then you, and then immediately after that wave of hype, you have like, Oh, well, I can't do everything. And Oh, like a lawyer use it irresponsibly. Um, I, I think um, from what we see, um, the metrics and the usage metrics are s- just super, super surprising compared to every anything I've seen before. We're looking at the hard data and it's like, this technology is real. It's not just hype. Um, this is really helping our customers in brand new ways that we never could have uh, done for them before. And it just shows in the hard data. So I think the most important thing for people to know is like companies like ours, the reason we're raising money is not like, oh, there's all this AI hype. It's like you look at the metrics and you're like, wow, like 
I've been working on products my whole life, or I mean, a lot of my adult life, and uh, I've never seen these kinds of metrics before um, in terms of just usage and engagement. So I think the main thing is like, it's, it's real. Um, I think the other thing, you know, people talk a lot about um, defensibility. It's like, oh, if I adopt this, will it be defensible? I think if any team is thinking about things, I think that's the wrong framing to think about things. It's like, you know, um, being like a SaaS company in like, I don't know, uh, 2010 or something being like, oh, like, should we use like a SQL database? Like, is that really defensible? Like, I don't know if we should use a SQL database because, you know, it may not be defensible. Like other people are going to use databases too. Um, I just think this this technology is going to be so ubiquitous in every application. It's it's a new fundamental um, piece of how software is built, just, just like relational databases were you shouldn't be thinking like, oh, is it defensible or not? You should be thinking like, oh, this is just a new component of software that all software is going to have. And if you adopt it faster than your competitors, um, you'll you'll be in a good spot. Um, but I do think you have to adopt it thoughtfully. Um, I think it's hard to just kind of shove it in to the corner of your app and now you're an AI company. It does require you to really rethink, you know, your user experiences entirely. And that can be pretty challenging. I've seen a few pitch decks where it's, hey, we're AI. I'm like, uh... What? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you know, because they, you know, entrepreneurs uh, just see the money going to that that sector, and they think, oh, that that's the magic to unlock yeah. the money. But I, it's I, I, not I, that. I, yeah. yeah, every yeah. like, and every investor <laughs> we talk to is like, they're digging deep into all the metrics. It's not because yeah. they see, you know, AI. Yeah. Scott, um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm going to make sure we have a link to the job uh, postings at, at the job section of your site. Um, I'm looking forward to like in you know 24 months when we talk about how you got how you managed to execute against that wait list because uh, it's it's a massive wait list. Thanks so much for your time, Scott. Thanks for having me. Scott, I I really like the example about kind of the self-driving car versus it's just assisted. Uh, I think it's a really good way to break down kind of exactly what they're doing and also. A few months ago, I believe, Alex, we did a quite an in-depth profile on Spellbook and also on Scott as well. So yeah. um, just before we transition into the next headline, uh, I will link the web version of that if anyone wants just further also, insight onto the inspiration you know, and story. Yeah. One also touch on a couple of takeaways for the community because yeah. I do think there's a couple of things that Scott said that are very important. Um, yeah. Just like as we look at the news, like, look, generative AI is getting a ton of hype. Absolutely. Um, you know, but beyond the hype, it looks like this has created a technology inflection point, enabling startups like Scott to do stuff, solve problems or custom solve customers' problems in a way they couldn't do it before. So what what's interesting about this, I think we're gonna see this hype cycle play out faster than previous uh, generations of hype, especially in the internet, because you've got the internet's so widely distributed, technology is covered so quickly by media. It's and I see this across the technology space traditional enterprises are looking for AI solutions quicker than ever before. So the companies that can truly provide solutions will get customers and grow extremely rapidly. Look, 6,000 6, potential customers on waitlist is not normal. That That's yeah. even product market fit. That That's really fast. The ones that can't solve the problem will die. So I think how do you win in the spaces? You do what you know Spellbook has done. You really understand your customer. They were trying to solve the problems for uh, legal practitioners for a while. Build a solution that can leverage generative AI or whatever technology you need to build bet the best in class solution for, for, to, to solve the problem in the best in class way and design 
the solution around the workflow of your customer. And so like, I think companies yeah. like Spellbook will see more and more of these emerge and you'll have early winners. Now it doesn't mean all the winners in the space will come out in the next 24 months. Um, mobile phone took a decade to play out, which was a big change too. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm excited to see Canadian winners emerge. I'm excited to see um, what we will see from our, from our community over the next few years. Absolutely. That was a great way to sort of sum it up. And I think it was also important that you highlighted that, you know, a lot of founders are like, there's so much hype in this space, you know, maybe this is what I need to get in on, but there is a lot more involved in obviously product market fit and kind of creating the balance between um, finding success within the space and not just, well, everybody seems to be interested. So maybe I should get in on this now. Um, and just to circle back what I was saying before. So um, we'll have a ton of info on this in the show notes. Um, and we will link to the newsletter profile that we did on Spellbook and Scott as well. But um, for those that uh, don't already subscribe to the newsletter, um, we have great profiles like this on these companies and, and stories and anything like that. So you can subscribe at techtio.org backslash newsletter. Uh, we're often doing profiles and stories such as this, just highlighting success stories, inspiration to filling gaps in industries, things like that. Anything really standing out to you right now, Alex, in the newsletter? Um, you know, I, I think we're trying to break down a lot of the news that's happening and provide analysis. And mm -hmm. I think there's some interesting things we've written. Um, you know, uh, we have profiles of the speakers coming up for uh, our next event, our, yep. you know, in, in June. So I think it's always good to see who you can potentially meet in real life. And so I, I like the fact that they're closely tied together. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of um, comparisons that people can make to their own stories, obviously to um, these success stories from these founders we've profiled, um, which I think it's great to humanize um, it, it as well. So they're also great at providing those types of stories. So uh, next headline, Hostaway raises 175 million US to pull away from the competition. So aside from this large number that this raise is, what else is really notable to you about this round? Look, um, let's just start with that number. It's one of the largest we've seen in Canada this year. Yep. Um, what's not clear is what's the valuation or how much the company have sold. So um, it's a nice number. But what's more impressive about this round is how capital efficient the company has been to date. Um, it looks like previous to this announcement, the company only raised about $300 million since its founding in 2015. And despite that, um, they scaled to quite a large company in a very competitive space. They have over 100,000 properties um, in over in 100 countries, and they've you know, 100x revenue since 2021. Um, really capital efficient company. And how did they specifically, but also like how does a company find themselves in this position? How do they get here? Because as you said, yeah, it's one of the larger ones we've seen uh, in Canada this year. You know, I, I think what you're going to see more and more of these later rounds, just like and just like what we just got talked about, the winning companies and the companies that are going to merge and get the attention are the ones that really understand their customer problems. In this case, the founders, they, they started this platform to help a vacation rentals, and they realized that some of their competitors came from that industry, had vacation rentals, and, and they didn't. So instead of going and just coding and trying to figure out what to code, they started a side hustle of actually owning or running a couple of rental properties themselves. Um, the second thing which forced them to be capital efficient is they were raising in 2015. Um, you know, Airbnb was growing, but wasn't massive. It wasn't clear this was a huge market. So it provided a bit of headwinds in raising. And 
the three founders all finished or raising North American. What's interesting, the only capital seemed like our majority capital got seemed to be from the community that knew them in, in Finland. So what happens when you don't have money? Um, you know, you're forced to um, be careful where you spend it. And so they slowly built a product which resonated and, you know, and they built a product that, you know, I guess helps rent vacation rentals list across multiple channels. Mm-hmm. They've, um, and, and build take care of any other functionality that they require and whatever they couldn't build, they, they had no problem integrating with over a hundred other apps. So, you, you know, by being careful what they had to do, they realized what they had to build themselves, what was valuable. And they also realized what was built and they could integrate from others. So, you know, they didn't try to reinvent the wheel where it was already, what already existed. Right. And we have definitely seen the recovery of the like travel industry as a whole. So, I mean, maybe aside from that, I know a lot of folks are kind of unsure of the right timing around raising. So for them, you know, why raise now, especially the market has been difficult and constantly changing. Look, there's, there's two things that go into every raise. One is hypothetical, you know, you know, one is, do I know how to use this capital? And mm-hmm. can I use, and can I add value? Like, like at the beginning, it's like the capitals used to find product market fit. And after that, it's like, do I know how to go to market and put a dollar, a dollar in generates $3 in revenue. And the second one is, can I raise the money and threes on terms I like. And so I think when you look, read between the lines here, this company knows what to do from a product, from a mar- from a go to marketplace. They also view that it's a potential time to, you know, roll up and acquire some of the competitors. So they, they've shown, they know how to spend money. They've shown, they obviously have a vision where to spend, invest the money. And someone was willing to invest in terms that made sense for him. So I think it was, hey, you know, we can grow faster with capital and capital's available. And, you know, maybe, you know, while the mark, travel market's hot, there's a lot of, this is a very competitive space. And maybe this is a time to go buy up um, and roll up the industry. But in, in having cash on a balance sheet allows you to do that. Yeah. And just last question for you around this. So you did um, have some nice takeaways there just from the race perspective and raising now. But do you have any final takeaways as a whole from this news for our community? So I think lots of companies are being forced to be capital efficient because it's hard to raise money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sort of over the last few years, people haven't really worried about capital efficiency. It's sort of been underrated. But, you know, because every founder thinks the easiest way to build a successful company is let's raise a ton of money and then we'll have the resources we need. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, that's true. But I argue is many companies in the startup ecosystem dive into ingestion and starvation. What I mean is they have too much money. They're not forced to focus. They just piss it away for lack of a better word. And then they, they can't raise because they have a high valuation. So what does limited cash force you? It forces you to better allocate resources, make sure, focus more on your customers that you're getting an ROI for them, build strong habits that when you do raise, you're, you're careful with you spend it. Flip side, it does, does take longer to build a company and to start scaling and may make you more risk averse, which may prevent you from learning enough. Um, feels like Hostway looks like they're better positioned then it appears because they raised, they didn't raise venture capital on and they built a good platform to grow off of. And the story is also a reminder that the path to success is never a straight line. Um, if you read their story, COVID forced the company to make reductions, uh, you know, in, in staff is there any plumbing due to COVID. And, you know, I gotta say, you know, we talked about community before, um, you know, this is a great story. Um, you know, Marcus CEO has been an active participant in our community community. Um, he presented in 2019. I encourage everyone to just check out the video and you can learn about his journey. And it, it's one where 
he gets, you know, talks about how he's been inspired by the tech community. He's learned from it and how he wants to give back. And it just, I love to see that in our ecosystem. Yeah. And I will, um, for those that aren't familiar with the conversation from 2019, I'll link that in the show notes as well and uh, make sure it's included in the newsletter tomorrow. Uh, so thanks, Alex. The last headline I want to discuss with you today is, um, it's a bench size $95 million series D round. Um, again, uh, you know, an, another fairly large raise that we're, we're talking about again. So, um, just start by breaking down the news here and also just, um, what's different about, you know, this company and about, about this round. It's another large okay. one, just what's different. Um, so first of all, yes, it's an AI based company. It's in the large market. It's not generative AI. This is like old school artificial intelligence as, as old, you know, not, not old two, you know, 1960s. This is like what started the AI revolution, you know, first AI wave in, in the 2010s. Um, and this is due to traction the company has versus the potential has. So this is not like a coal here or an open AI. This is someone that's applying it and has revenue. And, and also in particular, we know Liron really well. He's presented about how to raise money to our community. We should link to that because he has, he basically says all the advice he got was wrong and he has a very unique approach to raising money, which, you know, it sounds like it's paid off in this, this kind of case. And also, Leon has more information to share. We, we did have him at the Best of Tech TO this year. We did. Yeah. So, was, yeah, so you know, I'm sure we'll link to those videos. Absolutely. Yeah, I will include those. And um, how do they get traction like this? How, like, what it sort of puts so, them in this position? I'll, I'll break it down to two things. First, I'll talk about the traction they have. So, look, we're talking about yep. tens of thousands of researchers subscribing to BenchSci and 16 of the largest 20 pharmaceutical companies use it to research new drugs. Um, they claim revenue has accelerated since the pandemic and has doubled over the past 18 months and is in position to double again shortly. So why? Um, so I don't know how familiar with the pharmaceutical industry, mm -hmm. you know, they produce all these great life-saving drugs and these, you know, but over the years it's been gotten more and more expensive and take more time. It takes more and more time to bring a drug to market cost. You're talking about billions of dollars, you know, two to seven years, you know, vaccines from COVID uh, set aside, but like, so research, very expensive time-wise, very expensive cost uh, money-wise. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, many, there's many false starts, right? You say, okay, here's a potential, um, you know, you know, uh, molecule that could be solved X, Y, and Z. They do a couple of year study and it doesn't work. So bench side, use AI to basically cut both the risk of a false start down, yeah. the time it takes to do the research. So it saves significant time for, for customers. Um, you know, so what does it do? And in particular, what it does is it reviews thousands of scientific publications to identify which antibodies and reagents are likely to be successful for new medications. And they also like give you context of what's already being, um, you know, being already tried or experimented on. So like one of our customers in their annual report in 2021, Novartis, um, stated that using bench size saved them $14 million between 2018 and 2021. Um, so you can see very high return, high return investment. I don't know what they charge, but like over three years, it's $14 million. So you're saying, Hey, this, this is one software that's saving us $5 million per year. That's that, however they measure it. And from what you do know about this round, is there anything else that's been particularly interesting or that you do know that's well, worth sharing? You know, like, there was a couple of quotes in the Global Mill article that announced this round. Um, you know, it seems like this was 
had clean terms. So that means like, so lots of new rounds out there say, Hey, if you, you know, before, you know, they put all these, what's the, all these extra terms on a round saying we need to see four times our money before, um, before any other investor, uh, founder see money or if right. X, Y, and Z like this, put, you know, we get warrants, we get options, whatever, right? Like there's all sorts of terms you can put out there. Um, so, so first of all, it's clean, which means, Hey, it was basically we're gonna put money in nothing very, over, you know, nothing very uh, onerous on there. Second of all, we know it's at least a flat round or maybe an up round and multiple okay. firms are willing to lead. So there's a lot, so lots of firms willing to read, pretty clean round. So that means there's something that's going well. Um, you know, this continues a trend we've been seeing in the market where the best companies with cash on the table already, and that's the other thing Bench I said, I had cash I didn't need to raise, uh, are getting preempted. So that means VCs are proactively starting talks to invest them and you know while anyone that actually has to go to market needs money it seems to be still difficult so it's, it's an interesting um, thing that's going on in market and i mean we know this is obviously a product of the toronto ecosystem a bench in particular but is there anything else that's really interesting that you want to highlight uh, or a backstory about the company so won't go too much into it now but like the bench it started was going through creative destruction labs and liron who became a co-founder and a ceo was participating as an MBA student in Toronto CDL and ended up joining the team. So this team would not exist in this this combination of co-founders who wasn't for the Creative Destruction Labs. Uh, I love that. And that's a good highlight. So just lastly, any further takeaways you have for our community? Well, maybe I've harped on all three sections. Um, that's okay. Yeah, uh, you know, I think one, one fundamental change in the market is Go back two years ago, you get lots of large rounds. And there'd be questions about what traction, but more importantly, what ROI are these companies providing for customers? And I I, I care to speculate in lots of cases or a few cases they weren't. And it wasn't, you know, growth for growth sake was good enough. And there's many ways to purchase growth. But what you're seeing now is the companies that are raising money are have demonstrable ROI for customers. Um, and it, it's, it's extremely important right now for two reasons. One is... I believe what I'm seeing across lots of startups, customers are being a bit more hesitant with their money. So this has to be, you have to clearly demonstrate an ROI before you invest it. And VCs that are looking at later stage rounds are spending more time doing diligence on the numbers behind the numbers. So if you can't demonstrate that your customers love your product, it's going to be hard to raise no matter, you know, what, well, no matter what your growth revenues on top of that are. So, um, and the best way to do that is really understand your problem. You know, provide the customers with a solution that creates value and it works in a way that they want to. Sounds easy, but very yeah. hard to execute against. Um, you know, the other thing I would say here is uh, the funding markets have improved. Like this week, we're talking about three large rounds and there are a few others that are in similar size that we didn't discuss. But in most cases, these large rounds are going to what looks like clear winners with capital ready. Um which is interesting because it's creating a significant, you know, gap or gulf between companies in the ninth percentile and everyone else. And capital is becoming, you know, a, a tool or competitive advantage or mode again. And so this might be discouraging to many founders who are thinking of starting a company, but I think the reverse is true. It's it's an excellent time to start a company because if you can start showing some traction, you start showing your customer and you can start pulling away back from the pack, you can get capital where your competitors can, and it can be part of a you know compounding wheel to just start really dominating a space much easier than you could in a, two, a few years ago. And in addition, some of the costs of running a business have, you know, are, 
are some of the availability. Like it's easier to rent the place now. It's easier to get employees. Um, you know, I'm also hearing across the board that marketing, uh, it, it, you know, costs are falling a bit. So despite it being difficult to raise money, I think just the fact it's harder to raise money than it was two years ago is actually makes it easier to build a real business, a breakout business. That's an interesting takeaway too. Cause I think just the overall raising process might be a deterrent, but you're, focusing things on the other benefits, even though, I mean, despite dealing with, with that as well. So I think that's a, a great place to end. Uh, before we go, um, I know that we have a very full events calendar for the year at TechTO, but there's just four in particular that I want to highlight. So um, you can obviously find out everything about our events on our website. So at techtio.org. Um, and we have one coming up on Monday, June 5th at 111 great lineup, uh, again, of, of speakers. Um, I'll let you just touch on that in a second if you want to. Um, our big event, the Summer Social, June 26th at the Slip. We're really taking advantage of the good weather. So outside, networking, good food, drinks, and by the water, which is always amazing. July 10th, we have a tech together. And then we're also back in Montreal on July 13th. Is there anything you'd like to call out about? Well, I'm not, look, we're, you know, the events you know, we have a great lineup on Monday. It's going to be yep. hopefully great weather in the end of June. I think we're also going to be at in Montreal around Startup Fest. So, yeah, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of time to get out to take advantage of you know, great Canadian summers. I think what I what you know what I just want to ask is if you're enjoying our podcast or listening to our stuff, share it to a friend or you know, you know, we've been you know, can you just leave us a review and telling us what you love about it because. Um, keeping in constant great word of mouth but we like to share this with the water community and, and we've been told the best way to do that is by getting some some a few more reviews of our podcast yeah. so if you love it five stars tell, tell us people why you love it um if you don't love it email me and tell me what we could do to improve it exactly we're open to feedback either way so i appreciate that uh alex thanks as always for helping us break down the news of uh the last couple of weeks if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening. And we'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode of Quick Take. We're in the business of delivering impossible things. We're in the business of delivering things that nobody's ever seen before. If you build that culture, you'll come up with you know really cool and innovative stuff and you know, literally could be in the next multi-billion dollar idea. So this conversation is largely going to be about scaling yourself and scaling your leadership team. I want to talk about one of the biggest struggles that I think a lot of startups face early on, which is building initial traction.